We're going to continue our study in the book of uh, Colossians, so turn with me please to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 verses 20 through 23 found on page 1470. Page 1470 of the Congregational Tanakh. Colossians chapter 1. You know, um, a basic theme in the biblical text is, is the fact that God desires to reconcile with man. All right? That is a basic theme in the biblical text. God created man. Man bit the apple or the pomegranate, depending on what you want to say. And the result and the rest, as they say, is history, a disastrous history of death and destruction and murder and intrigue and antagonism, man to man as well as man to God. But at the same time, there's been a lot of effort on the part of some people to reach God. Religion is an effort on the part of people to reach God. There are religions all over the world. All societies have had religions. The old societies built these pyramids and mounds. You know, we have mounds in in the United States that aren't just for burial purposes, they're for worship. They're part of a religious ritual, and it's all an effort for man to reach God. Problem is, is God's in the business of trying to reach man. All right? This effort on the part of people to reach on their own initiative and with their own understanding toward a God who's desperately trying to reach them, but has an expectation that people seek Him on His terms, since He is Creator God. God desires to reconcile with man. Man is unable to reach God. And so God has made it possible for man to be reconciled to Him through faith in our Messiah, Yeshua. This morning what I want to do is I want to talk about this issue of Yeshua being the means by which God has completed reconciliation from our text. And reconciliation is something that as a nation uh, we've had to experience at different times in different ways. Today we are a polarized nation. People don't really like one another depending on our ideas. We're polarized politically, we're polarized economically, we're polarized regionally in many ways. How many of you, when you think about Texas, something negative pops into your mind? Except for Zach, who's from Texas. Some of us have have even this sense of polarization, this antagonism toward regions in our country. We're a polarized country. We need reconciliation. We need restoration. I'm going to read an interesting little uh, thought on the issue of reconciliation from the Civil War. And this was produced, actually this illustration I literally stole from uh, a pastor. I found it online and it said what I wanted to say and so I'm going to read it. April 9, 1865 marks the end of the worst conflict ever seen on American soil, the Civil War. It's the date Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant at the Appomattox Courthouse. Lee surrendered his army of North Virginia after the final battle of the war, where Lee came up predictably short. The battle which took place on Palm Sunday, 1865, was a last-ditch effort to save Richmond, Virginia, the Confederate capital, from Union occupation. 
After a fruitless attempt by the Confederate Army, outnumbered by almost 75,000 men, Robert E. Lee sent a note to General Grant that required more humility than most could fathom. Lee was quoted as saying, then there is nothing left for me to do but to go and see General Grant, and I would rather die a thousand deaths. Yet this surrender would be one of the most noble surrenders in the history of war on the part of both the victor and the surrenderer, Robert E. Lee. Both of these generals came to the Appomattox Courthouse as models of biblical humility. Grant showed up in a dirty uniform covered in mud, without any decorations or frills, and Lee rode up in his grand military attire. A strange showing by Grant, since it was customary for a general to lord over his military captives like a ruthless tyrant. And after all, they did just defeat the rebellious Confederates. But when Robert E. Lee puts his army at the mercies of Grant in the Union, humility and grace were on display. Not only did Grant allow Lee and his men to go home to their families and jobs immediately, but he also gave the starving Confederate soldiers rations of food from their own supplies. Grant even went as far as to order his own troops not to cheer in victory when Lee and his men walked past. This was a small gesture that would go a long way in repairing a nation that had been split in two. Upon the surrender, Lee was an American citizen again and given his full rights of freedom and dignity. If the entire South could have swallowed their pride as Lee did and the entire North extend a hand of reconciliation like granted in this moment, the horrors of Reconstruction could have been replaced with great reconciliation. The themes of humility, grace, repentance, and forgiveness seen at Appomattox uh, all those years ago are a timeless metaphor for God's recollection of sinners. When man separated themselves from union with God, the great war of humanity ensued. God's plan from the beginning, as was the unions, was to reconcile. And only if the opposition was defeated could this take place. On the cross, that execution stake, Yeshua the Messiah was defeated, or defeated our sin and crushed the enmity between man and God. Now when man comes to God in surrender, God's response is one of welcome and acceptance. A picture of this reconciliation can be seen in the exchange between Grant and Lee in the subsequent restoration of the union. Whenever man sins, he fires a shot at God. Like R.C. Sproul, this Christian pastor says, sin is an act of cosmic treason. But instead of treating us as prisoners of war, God treats the surrendered sinner as a citizen of heaven. That's a really great, great line. You may be here and you accept and believe in Yeshua's atonement for yourself. You understand this whole issue of reconciliation personally, but maybe you don't. Maybe you don't believe and maybe you don't accept. What I hope to challenge you with this morning is the fact that God has provided a means for reconciliation. What are you going to do with it? And then if you accept it, how will you live it out? And so let's take a look at the text and let us uh, feel free to take a look at the uh, back of the announcement sheet where the notes are. And uh, let's begin. So first, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Colossians 1, verse 20. And through his Son to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through him, through having his Son shed his blood by being executed on a stake. 
In other words, you who at one time were separated from God and had a hostile attitude towards Him because of your wicked deeds, He has now reconciled in the Son's physical body through His death in order to present you holy and without defect or reproach before Himself. Provided, of course, that you continue in your trusting, grounded and steady. And don't let yourselves be moved away from the hope offered in the good news you heard. So here we have in this text this basic point, reconciliation. Verse 20 makes it clear, Yeshua's death served as God's means for reconciliation. When we think back to the Hebrew Scriptures, think back to the Torah. How did God handle reconciliation with man? What is the first example we see in the text of reconciliation? The first example is in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve bit the pomegranate. All right, They disobeyed God eating the forbidden fruit. God's response was not to torture them mercilessly. <laughs> Anybody here got a mean streak? When somebody steps out, yes, Bob has a mean streak. When, when God, when you step out or someone, step, when someone steps out on you, do you feel the need to make it clear to them that they have hurt you in some way and therefore you, you push them, you press them, you oppress them, you hurt them? You know, I, none of you are like that. Come on, people. I know you, enough of you. But there are people like that. There are people like that. You would think that an all-holy, perfect God would have done something really torturous to Adam and Eve. But what is it that he did? He clothed them with the skins of animals. Alright? He didn't make them wear banana leaves. Alright? He clothed them with the skins of animals. It means a couple of things. A few animals had to die so that they might be covered. From that beginning we see that animals had to die in order that sin was covered. That's the theme. We see it starting through the book of Genesis. You see people sacrificing, making offerings. Okay? And then clearly within the Torah, the prescription that blood is required for atonement. And yet, only for sins committed unknowingly. Have you committed a sin unknowingly lately? Probably. But tell me about all the sins you've committed on purpose. That's even a much bigger list. The Torah tells us that if you commit sins unknowingly, you can make a sacrifice and receive atonement. But if you sin intentionally, if you say something bad about somebody intentionally, if you hurt somebody intentionally, if you steal something intentionally, there is no atonement. There is only hope of God's mercy. God ultimately sent Messiah Yeshua to die... Because his shed blood, his sacrifice, his atonement brings forgiveness from all sin. Not just sin that was committed unknowingly, but all sin. Isaiah chapter 53 makes it very, very clear. All right? And then we were talking about it last week, the book of Zechariah. And one day God will remove all the sin from the land. All sin. Only through the shed blood of our Messiah Yeshua. Taking a look again at the text, uh, we see, beginning in verse 19, so 19 and 20, For it pleased God to have His full being live in His Son, and through His Son to reconcile to Himself all things. Alright, Yeshua 
as we see here again, served as God's means for reconciliation. And it was because Yeshua was capable of bringing this reconciliation because he is God. Again, it's something that we cannot understand. We talked about it last week. As Jewish people, this is like a big issue. What do you mean Yeshua is God? And you have to listen to the sermon from last week. It's on the website. All right, Or talk to me about it. But the bottom line is this is a miraculous reality that we cannot, no one could put their mind around. But one of the reasons Yeshua could take upon himself our sin is because he wasn't just like one of us. He was perfect, and he was indeed God himself who came to provide that atonement. Yeshua has brought us reconciliation with God, and so Yeshua has brought us God's peace. Do you still feel guilty about some of the sin that you've committed in your life? You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should not. When we confess our sins, as it says in the book of 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess, when we recognize Yeshua's shed blood takes our sin, he also takes away our guilt. Now, you still may be in, you know, you can't be in Joliet anymore. They closed it down. But you could be in Dixon or some other prison if you did something that landed you in jail, okay? But let's say you did say something bad about somebody and you confessed it as as sin and you made whatever you needed to do in terms of reconciliation. But the bottom line is when we confess, God takes away our sin and the guilt should go with it. Too many believers feel like it's necessary to continue to punish themselves. A good beat-up every once in a while over past sin seems almost cathartic, right? Wrong! (laughs) It's not right. It's not good. We have forgiveness of sins through our faith in Messiah Yeshua that includes the guilt. Rejoice in the fact that you do not have to be burdened with the guilt from your sin if you confess it before the Lord your God. Yeshua brings us God's, God's peace. Second point, this reconciliation was required, though, because of this spiritual division. The fall in the garden brought separation. Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden. They get kicked out of the garden. The garden is wonderful. It's Everything is there. You wanted to get a hot dog that was healthy, it was there in the form of some fruit. <laughs> okay. All right? And so everything you needed, everything you wanted is there. Sin came into the world. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. God kicked them out of the garden. Bummer. Separation from God. Remember, it is your sin that separates you from God. Hell is really separation from God eternally. It's all another sermon. But when we again accept what Yeshua did, that separation is removed. We are now in full relationship with God because our sin is no longer separating us from God. God looks at us through Yeshua's sacrifice, which we have accepted, as being connected with him, as being in relationship with him. There is no longer a block. There is no longer a separation. And uh, it's interesting that uh, ultimately, you're, you know, again, if you study the text enough, you realize that there are all kinds of separations. Again, we talk about our nation, how divided our country is. You know, the very world in which we live is divided, spiritually speaking. Because, of course, sin is in the world, not just in terms of humanity's sin, but all of God's creation is currently in rebellion. Satan is a real being. And his objective is to deceive and to try and destroy and to take as many people with him as possible to his ultimate destiny, which is hell. Okay? 
And one day, Yeshua's atonement will bring reconciliation to all the created world order. So right now, for those who accept him, there's forgiveness of sin. But one day, Yeshua the Messiah will return as King Messiah, as the Jewish Messiah, to reign over this world. And when he does that, he's going to bring all things and put them back into their proper order. And so the separation that people have now has been dealt with, but the separation that all creation is experiencing between God and itself, that will be dealt with too when Yeshua the Messiah comes. God desires to bring complete restoration to his creation. God has a big picture perspective on all of this. Disorder came into his world, but God is going to reorder that world his way. And it's going to happen when Yeshua the Messiah returns. And all creation will rejoice. Let's take a look at verse 21, though. So we're talking about this issue of reconciliation, which Yeshua has provided through his shed blood. But take a look at verse 21. In other words, you who at one time were separated from God and had a hostile attitude towards him because of your wicked deeds. Yeshua's death was necessary because we were estranged from God. I remember before I was a believer, before I came to understand and accept that Yeshua is indeed the Messiah, and that his atonement paid the price for my sin, that I was not particularly interested in doing what God wanted me to do. The term estranged here is a great term. Uh, To be alienated from God. To be antagonistic toward God. I felt alienation from God. I was kind of ticked off at God for a variety of reasons. But I particularly was, was, uh, you know, antagonistic. Because I felt that God was going to screw up my life. Of course, I shouldn't use that word. My wife always gets upset with me. That God was going to mess up my life. That God was going to make my life something that was going to be horrible. So I was not interested in being in relationship with God. I was mad at God. I was ticked off at God. I was, I was frankly worried about God. Antagonism is a, is a nasty thing in terms of relationship. You can't really be in relationship with somebody if there is tension, if there is estrangement. Here's a great uh, article I also found in, in regards to estrangement in the home. You know, it's, it's sad, but it exists. How many of you really struggle in your relationships with your parents? All right? Sometimes this is a real problem in our society. Uh, here, listen to this. This um, Uh, It's an article that was in uh, Today. Uh, No parent wants to imagine a day when your child would refuse to speak to you. But estrangements between parents and adult children may be more common than you think. One expert calls it a silent epidemic. In today's On the Brink series that began, so this is an article, a mom and her grown son shared their experience of being incommunicado for three and a half years. So mother and son not talking at all three and a half years. It began, Susan Nitaraha said, when her son Christopher was about 18 or 19, and she and his dad differed on parenting styles. I tried to set parameters and set rules, and that very much annoyed my son, and at the same time he was trying to exert his independence and find his way, Susan said. And that caused a lot of friction in our relationship. There was a disagreement on behavior. He and I had a big falling out over it. Christopher had a different interpretation of events. At this one point in time, she wasn't there to help me in the situation that I needed her. Those years she spent without hearing from her son were brutal for Susan. Not having communication with my son or seeing him was probably the most painful thing I have ever experienced, she said. 
Joshua Coleman, a psychologist who wrote, When Parents Hurt, Compassionate Strategies, When You and Your Grown Children Don't Get Along, called estrangements between adults and their parents a silent epidemic. It's sadly very common, he told today's Savannah Guthrie. I work with parents in my practice who have had estrangements for 10 years. Permanent estrangements. The problem is silent because people are too embarrassed to discuss it. So many parents who are going through this don't want to talk about it, Coleman said. They feel ashamed. They feel humiliated. And the kids as well. They don't want to talk about it either. Nobody wants to admit it, Coleman said, but it's a huge problem in our culture. Why? Because we live in a culture today where there is a great deal of polarization. There is no advantage for you to be estranged from anybody unless the person you're talking about is a physical or emotional abuser. So you had a fight with somebody five years ago. And so you don't want to talk to them about it. You don't want to talk to them. Hey, listen, we're parting ways. You're going your way, I'm going my way. And therefore, since we disagree on something, we're just not going to have anything to do with anyone, with each other. Not really healthy. But this is often how we operate. The pain of trying to reconcile a relationship. And what does God want us to do? God wants us to be reconcilers. Without saying anything, I'll say it. I'm gonna, I, always lo- I love using my kids as an example. This will be the first example between Matt and Shoshana. All right, so Matthew said something without any details, and you could tell <laughs> Shoshana was like really upset. And what was wonderful is that already, and they're not even married yet, although they are engaged, that they took the time to talk. Too many of us. Get in a fight. And, and the way we handle it is we give people the silent treatment. We roll over in bed and we don't talk to them for a week. Or we don't, or, or in the office there's somebody that, that has hurt us and we don't, you know, our, our communications are in, are in one syllable words, singularly used. <laughs> How healthy is that? It's not healthy at all. We need to understand that if there is a tension moment in relationship, God expects us to not live in an antagonism with anybody else, to not live antagonistically with anyone, but to live in peace with all people. The teaching from the text, as much as it is possible, live at peace with all men, especially those of the household of faith. Yeshua's death was necessary because of our estrangement with God. But how many of us as followers of Messiah who believe that that we believe in Yeshua's atonement to bring us peace with God live at war with other believers? That's horrible sin. Horrible sin. We need to admit it. We need to confess it. And we need to live lives of peace with others, starting with God. If you are here and you feel alienated from God, but you accept Yeshua, you need to ask yourself the question, how are your relationships with people? You say you love God, but it's people you can't stand, then I don't really think you love God that much. If you say you love God, but you're really feisty, you have all kinds of people in your life that you battle with and you don't don't live at peace with, you know, again, I don't think that you really understand what it means to love God and to be in relationship with Him. We need to be as much as we can, living at peace with all people, especially those of the household of faith. 
Yeshua's death was necessary to remove this barrier between us and God to bring peace and restoration of relationship. Let us also remember that Yeshua's death and his atonement and his work in our relationship with God should also lead to greater relationships and greater peace with the people around us, whether they are followers of Messiah Yeshua or not. Verse 22, it says, He has now reconciled in the Son's physical body through his death in order to present you holy and without defect or reproach before himself, provided, of course, that you continue in your trusting, grounded and steady, and don't let yourselves be moved away from the hope offered in the good news you heard. Yeshua's, good, Yeshua's death is good news. It is just absolute good news for mankind, for all of us. First of all, Yeshua's death makes us holy. It's a positional change. We go from being sinful people to being holy people. Right? So again, when you picture yourself, do you picture yourself as holy? Do you picture yourself as righteous? Well, that's the way God views you. Maybe you don't. Maybe all you see is your sin. Maybe you see all the things you've done in your life, all the bad things, and you beat yourself about it all the time. Don't do that. You have been forgiven through your acceptance of Yeshua's atonement. God looks at you as holy and righteous. Take advantage of that. Rejoice in that. All right. The emphasis in the text, there's, a, there's an emphasis in the text reinforcing the physical reality of Yeshua's body and death. He was a real human and he died a real human death even though he is God. That's reinforced in the text because it makes it very clear the cost of our atonement to move us from death to life. We have been transferred from enemies of God to children of God, all because our Messiah took upon himself our sin. Those who accept Messiah Yeshua's death are brought into full fellowship with God, and all of their sin and guilt are gone, wiped clean, past present future when it says in Romans 8 there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Messiah Yeshua it is speaking there specifically in regards to Torah but is a general principle in regards to all our sin nothing can separate us from the love of God including our sin because we've accepted who Yeshua is not a license to sin (laughs) But it speaks of our positional change. We are now holy before the Lord our God. And this is our eternal destination because of our faith in Messiah. Now, in verse 22 though, it talks about the fact that Yeshua's death keeps us holy if we persevere. So in other words, we talk about a positional change. We are holy, period. But in terms of our lives day to day, we need to persevere, work out our faith. Meaning, take it seriously. You know, you read the text of Scripture, do you do what it says? You know, as Jews who believe in Yeshua, as Stuart talked about a couple of weeks ago when he spoke, we have a lot of responsibilities to live out God's instruction. We do. As Jews, we have a responsibility to be God's light, not only among our people, most of whom who don't accept who Yeshua is, but also among the nations. And I should say, those of you who have married into this bear the same responsibility. So if you weren't Jewish, but you married into this Jewish movement, well then you have the same responsibility as a part of the Jewish people, the greater body and community of the Jewish people, to be a testimony. And and what that means is it requires you to live out God's instructions for our people so that others will see and believe. But it requires perseverance. 
It requires work. It requires applying the text, which is easy to do, right? It's very easy. It doesn't take any effort whatsoever to follow God and to live according to his instructions, right? No, it's hard. Someone maligns you, you know, emotionally slaps you on the cheek. You want to just reach out and touch them very specifically. And Yeshua says, turn the other cheek. How easy is that? God calls us as Jewish people to keep the Shabbat, to set this day aside. That's extremely difficult in this day. Because, you know, we make a little extra money, you know, we want to go and do what we want to do. Yet God says, set the day aside. It's his day. Make it like no other day of the week. That's hard to do. But it's the perseverance. It's what God wants us to do. It is our commitment to personally changing day by day. To be living lives of holiness for the sake of our Messiah. As reconciled people, we need to be thinking of how we can share this good news of reconciliation with the people that are around us. That's why he uses the phrase, the good news, the besorah. All right, the good news of what Yeshua has done in providing through his shed blood. Forgiveness of sin. It's available to all people. Everywhere. But we have to be willing to communicate that. So, in conclusion, first of all, have you accepted God's reconciliation? Have you actually believed this truth for yourself personally? If not, I challenge you to believe it today. I challenge you to consider what... Yeshua has done for you and to believe to believe so that you can positionally change and be the holy person that God wants you to be that he's provided you means for second how are you showing your appreciation to God for forgiving your sins how are you demonstrating by your life that you appreciate what God has done how strong is your faith how strong is your faith what consumes your time and thoughts are your, is your time dedicated to serving God? And, and is that the priority of your life? Or is your, is your time really consumed with personal pleasure and personal interest? The big mindset. It's a paradigm shift that God wants us to make. And then finally, do you share your faith? Who are you sharing your faith with? You know, this Bissorah, this good news is good for people. <laughs> people need it. People are living at odds. Again, look at our nation. Our nation is in desperate need of peace. Are we peacemakers? Are we communicating this peace so that others would believe? Think about who in your sphere of influence, whether it's if you're in school or whether you're on the job or in your neighborhood, think of who you can be sharing with this week about the peace with God, provided through Yeshua's reconciliation for us. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and the challenge of it. We thank you, God, for the fact that through the shed blood of our Messiah, Yeshua, we have peace with you. And God, I pray pray that we would live lives worthy of his death. I pray, God, that we would take seriously what it means to work out this reconciled life of faith, that we would be living holy lives even as we recognize and appreciate that you have made us holy. Again, I thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to serve you. I pray, God, that we would do it with tremendous zeal and passion. Can we pray all this in the name of our Messiah?